Welcome to the Happy Hormones podcast, where we're exploring the vital role that hormonal balance can play in your emotional and physical health, and some of the ways that that balance can be restored. I'm joined by Dr. Monica Lascar from the Marion Gluck Clinic to look at the andropause, which sometimes gets called male menopause. I don't know if that's the right sort of term, but what, dare I ask, is the andropause? So that's a good question. And interestingly, there's a lot of debate about it. Um, And before I answer it, I'd like to really uh, perhaps answer why there's so much debate and confusion. Um, So really, andropause is... um, if you look on the NHS website, it's very much uh, an explanation of it doesn't exist. And I think that's largely because when compared to menopause, male hormones decline at a slower rate. So there's a very smooth decline, a slope down uh, of the levels of hormones of testosterone in men, whereas in women, there is an incredibly sharp decline coming menopause by a thousandfold um, and continuing to diminish afterwards. Why do you think it does decline so much slower in men? I I think it's an interesting uh, question. Um, It's, you know, gender bias and design. I'm not sure. Mm. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's really um, the ovaries pack up in our 50s. They no longer uh, produce the um, eggs and therefore uh, we survive as women after menopause. Really, we, we it's very much like an adrenal takeover. Our adrenal glands continue to make testosterone and we uh, make a little bit from that testosterone. Our body can turn it into estrogen through aromatase uh, and that's how we survive if we choose to not go on hormone therapy, for example. Uh, so there's much less hormone levels. In men, they decline slower. Um, it's just how the design was. Um, the rate of decline is about 2% per year. Uh, but I think what's really interesting is that um, that rate of decline has been getting faster, uh, so much so that the so-called normal intervals had had to be changed uh, and adjusted according to the population that has lower levels. Um, the other interesting um element to it is that really um, one of the definitions of andropause that I like is that the level of testosterone in a particular man uh, at a particular point in time is not sufficient for the needs of that person. Um, So I think we do have a lot of testosterone deficiency. Um, It's perhaps not opposed to the degree uh, to which women's hormones um, go through, but clearly there is a significant Significant decline, which results in significant symptoms at a certain point in our lives. At what age does that decline tend to kick in? It tends to kick in uh, in our four, in in the forties, usually mid forties, um, and um, there have been a number of uh, studies that estimate that um, really uh, up to thirty eight percent of men have below optimal testosterone levels um, and uh, how would that be how would that be presenting and the way it's presented so again uh, hormone receptors are everywhere in the body so um, it can um, present with low mood it can present with um, uh, tiredness with the loss of muscle mass with perhaps a sense of not being able to build 
um, the muscle mass that, you know, you're trying to work out and nothing's happening with fatigue, with erectile dysfunction. Um, but I think what I find in the men that I see is just a sense of this isn't me because a lot of uh, men have perhaps experienced depression at some point in their lives. And that just doesn't feel like depression. It's a lack of motivation. It's a sense of not being me, fatigue. and uh, But it can present with uh, sarcopenia, loss of uh, muscle mass or uh, even bone mass and osteoporosis. And you, you say it's... Um it's getting worse. What? Any idea why, why so that might be? I, I just really um, think in some ways, and I probably believe that for all of us men or women, I think we have got to a point in our lives where there is a certain evolutionary mismatch in how we adapt to modern life. So um, clearly we do live more stressful lives. We are exercising less. Um, and it's all about understanding this steroid pathway. So the body has its way that when you need to make a lot of cortisol and a lot of stress hormones, uh, what happens is that the hormone pathway gets diverted into this fight and flight response. And that can impact your testosterone levels. The other is insulin. Um, again, insulin is a hormone that we uh, make to break down sugar. And our sugar intake is far higher than it's ever been. Um, and we can become insulin resistant. And when that happens, you have increased body fat and body fat makes more estrogen. So that turns again the balance away from making testosterone into making estrogen and you can have gynecomastia so slight breast development and so on so it's all about the the pathway that the hormones get drifted into but i do have to say there's a long list of conditions that you know it's called hypogonadism so aside from the lifestyle factors obviously there are uh, certain infections uh, of childhood or later on um, there's a, a long list of drugs that may include antacids or hypertensive medications or um, there's certain medications that can cause low testosterone. Uh, but I think the gap in a way in our management of low testosterone is that we uh, look at hypogonadism, uh, but 80% of those people don't have any of those causes that the textbook lists, and yet they have significant testosterone deficiency. And uh, whilst, um, you know, um, the level at which a GP may be able to prescribe would be a testosterone level that's below normal for an 80-year-old man. That's what, you know, um, so it doesn't take into account your age, your level, um, your lifestyle and your story. And it's only when your levels are below the level of an 80-year-old uh, lowest limit then you may be considered for it. And well, I mean, there might there might well be mm -hmm. these days. Um, I mean, as a as a as a man yeah. in his mid 40s who who is naked yeah. at the moment, if if I wanted to test this out, yeah, how do you so, how do you monitor your testosterone? So I, I, yeah, it is a blood test, and I think it's important to know that we have fluctuations uh, during the day, so it's best measured in the morning. The level wane towards the evening and also we have seasonal variations in our testosterone levels um, which tend to be uh, lower in the winter and higher in the summer um, so in some way you know we're still connected to nature and uh, the variations in 
season. So I would mm. say have it first thing in the morning. And uh, yeah, uh, and also there's a lot of data that shows that, uh, you know, in a male who feels bullied or dominated at work, the testosterone levels were lower. Um, so we are responsive to our environment. Um, and uh, But I, I do believe it's important to know uh, because then even if you're not considering hormone uh, replacement therapy, uh, there are clear lifestyle changes that we know they work. Um, and I was going to ask you about that. So if, if, if someone comes in, mm. maybe a man in his mid-40s who's tired and says, I, and they test positive mm. for low levels of testosterone, mm. the options are lifestyle yeah yeah I I always discuss that and I think again it's about meeting the person where they are and and um, I really uh, perhaps one of the best uh, things about working in the clinic that we work is that we do get an hour with the patient and I think a lot of us would benefit from an hour put aside to really talk through the history so in that narrative you kind of find out where someone is on the health journey how much process food are they eating what time do they go to bed how much do they exercise what's going on in their life um, and then see how willing they are to change but sometimes uh, and especially there's the case with uh, diabetes or pre-diabetes that's what I call a fat trap um, so there is this influence of insulin on lowering testosterone and low testosterone sometimes has been found to be a predictor of diabetes and it's also another situation where actually you could get your level checked through your GP if you're diabetic um, but um, it's much harder to lose weight if your testosterone levels are low. Um, so there is a, a certain level that, you know, depending on how low it is, that perhaps it's unlikely you'll achieve much with um, lifestyle or supplements. They can improve it by maybe, you know, 10%, 15% at the most. What sort of supplements would they be? Um, so I think, again, it's addressing, first of all, before supplements, I, I really am a believer in whole foods. And the reason is that, um, you know, our environment is not supportive of, of healthy testosterone levels. Um, so, you know, the, the estrogen and hormones that are injected in meat um, and the genetically modified foods and so on, and also the plastics and the xenoestrogens, the artificial estrogens, um, that amount about of... soya? Yeah, um, soya too. Um, it's, uh, I mean, soya, it's a, a bit complicated. It can have beneficial effect in some cases, especially organic soya. Soya, it's a modulator of estrogen, so, uh, but it's probably best avoided if you want to increase your testosterone levels. Uh, with adrenal support, there's the B vitamins, uh, the adaptogens, ashwagandha, but there's also prioritizing sleep. It's also um, knowing how to exercise in timing with your circadian rhythm to do your cardio first thing in the morning when your cortisol levels are naturally highest and to do calming uh, exercises. You know, a lot of us hit the gym after a day's work and that isn't necessarily conducive for a good night's sleep and replenishment and it doesn't actually help your testosterone levels. So, um, it depends where one is in the health journey and how much you're willing to understand and be on board with the lifestyle changes. So, and if the lifestyle changes don't get you there, 
then is the, the, yeah. the option of, of what? There's the option of, uh, of testosterone therapy. But again, you uh, need to sort of be aware that once you go on hormone therapy, I mean, they do go hand in hand. And actually, um, interestingly, um, it's not one or the other. And it always works better uh, when you eat whole foods and when you prioritize sleep and so on. But um, it's a lifelong commitment and you need to, uh, well, it's easy in terms of, you You know, we use transdermal creams um, and um, uh, again, when treatment is given through the skin, it does not increase the risk of clots. It does not increase the risk of heart disease. Um, and we also monitor the whole hormone pathway is not just about replacing testosterone. And I think that's where it's again the different paradigm between just replacing testosterone but also looking at what the body does with that testosterone does it by any chance get converted into estrogen which defeats the point of hormone therapy so um and we address that this aromatase process um that converts it into estrogen so it's looking at the whole hormone pathway it's having a blood test um every 6 months um that looks at the blood count at the hormone levels at the symptoms and at getting the the support with the lifestyle changes that you want to put in place and some people just say look i'm going to give lifestyle a go for 3 months i had no idea is that important and uh, and they actually do quite well for others that are actually pre-diabetic or diabetic and they really struggle to reverse their diabetes or perhaps they're not really at terms with becoming a chronic disease patient who's tired, overweight and has no sexual function for the rest of their lives, um, you can actually achieve quite a lot. And some people you know, they can start with the hormones, they get the hang of the lifestyle because it's very hard to motivate yourself to do all of that when you come with no energy, feeling depressed, no enjoyment of life, uh, feeling sad and grumpy and so on to actually implement all those lifestyle changes. So, um, and sometimes you start with the hormones and then you taper them off as the lifestyle changes kick in and you develop healthy obsessions, right? <laughs> And is, is, is there a risk by having more testosterone that you might become more aggressive or perhaps that you might have hair loss? If, so, uh, yeah, other, other sort of yes, side there are side effects. And I think that is really, in a way, um, a downside of doing testosterone therapy the wrong way without it being monitored. Without So in this pathway of metabolizing testosterone, uh, there's certain metabolites like DHT, dihydrotestosterone, that is uh, increasing the risk of hair loss um, and the certain supplements that can perhaps uh, alleviate that like so palmetto and so on but we do look at those um, but what I want to say is that we aim for midline levels right that's the point of monitoring so it's optimizing it's not going overboard and I often see those um, with people who take testosterone from the gym or they buy it off the internet and no one monitors it and they end up having problems with it. Uh, but I think if it's monitored and the levels are optimized, um, it can actually be very beneficial. Um, can, you, can you tell me about a case or case studies of men who 
you have seen transformed by treatment? Because I have been a HIV doctor in the mid 90s, right? So I have been a doctor for 27 years. And uh, I have first learned about testosterone from my patients. And in those days, it was just the beginning of antiretroviral therapy. And a lot of people were dying. They were cachectic, losing muscle mass. And um, a couple of them sort of became interested, heard on the grapevine, the, you know, testosterone. And uh, of course, they were completely self-managed. And we, do, we did have cases and that's anecdotes but actually we also ended up prescribing it i possibly wrote my first testosterone injection prescription in the nhs in the hiv clinic some decades ago and what was really interesting was that a couple of those people not only began to rebuild their muscles but they benefited from the anti-inflammatory effect of testosterone. I think that's what we often forget is that hormones have anti-inflammatory effects. And and, um, some of them actually bought time with testosterone therapy for effective medication to come along. Um, And and, um, certainly there are some authors out there that... uh, published on, uh, you know, HIV patients that had a similar story that's come out, um, a book which I, the title escapes me, but uh, I could probably find it for you. Um, it's by um, Nelson Virgil um, that uh, was one of his HIV patients, actually, that uh, in a way um, survived HIV very early in the 90s, uh, really solely because he he used testosterone therapy um, and possibly because of other lifestyle interventions and luck alone. You can't really know in a one case study. But other um, interventions really are, um, you see, the patients that I see are largely brought in by their wives, right? So their wives are my patients and then, you know, they feel better and more energized and suddenly the husband can't keep up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I see, you know, vast majority are partners of my patients, and I find it really interesting. Um, and that's again, I, you know, if you have any opinions, I'd like to hear. But um, it's a, there's a certain stigma around even measuring your testosterone or thinking about it, and so there's a lot of people who are perhaps trapped into this you know lack of energy lack of enjoyment of life um it's not quite depression uh, you know decreased ability to play sport falling asleep after dinner and um and you know they sort of either feel not seen not heard by their primary care provider or they're too embarrassed. Most men that I see tell me I've been to one of those male clinics and I'm not into building muscle. I'm, you know, I, I, you know, but I just want to feel better. And uh, in a way, there is a middle way where you could look at, uh, you know, the scientifically proven interventions for exercise and food and supplements. And once you've got all the information to perhaps consider uh, testosterone replacement therapy, but again, we generally don't consider it in men younger than 45, um, and it's uh, you know it's potentially a lifelong commitment um, in a way. 
I have to say, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, Monica, Dr. Monica Lascar, um, thank you so much for your time. And if you fancy some other episodes from Happy Hormones, we've got ones looking at the benefits and confronting the risks around HRT, uh, perimenopause, and a sort of more broader chat around hormones and how they can be so important to your health. <laughs>